Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We're finishing up First Peter today. And next week, Greg Coots will give a summary of First Peter and an intro overview of Second Peter. And this morning, we're going to be reading through First <coughs> Peter 5, 8 through 14. And I'll be reading out of the New King James Version. And look, look at First uh, Peter 4:19. That's been mentioned a couple times this morning, and I just want to refer to that again. That First Peter 4:19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good, as to a faithful Creator. And last week, Dave Mealy went over the first part of chapter five. And he mentioned how in chapter 5, verse 1, there are three terms for leaders in the church used interchangeably. 1 Peter 5, 1 says, The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor being as lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And that, that scripture has been really important to me in recent years as I've realized uh, in studying the New Testament that the church shouldn't be built around the personality of a man. That, that for example, Don Greetham or Willie Easley or I, we don't have the personality to gather great following. As a figurehead leader, you know, we don't really have the personality to build a church around us. Uh, Dave Mealy and Dave Jackson do but they don't want to be that. <laughs> they don't want. To, they don't want to be that guy, because Jesus is is the Lord, and and so we gather around Jesus. And through the years, people have said that um, well, you have pastors, and you have elders, and you have bishops, and you have overseers, and yet here you have the three words that are in the beginning of chapter five, like Dave Mealy was mentioning, presbyteros. Elders, poimenate, poimenate, uh, shepherd, shepherding, episcopuntes, uh, like overseers or bishops. And they're not three different offices, they're not three different positions, they're, they're all right, they're used interchangeably. The elders who are among you shepherd the flock as overseers, not as lords, but as examples. And so it's been important to me to 
to try to examine how the church should function and how the church should be led so that there's not an there's not an elite over the laity but there's brothers and sisters who gather together in Jesus name and that and that the leaders lead by example from among the brethren rather than lording it over the brethren and so there in verse 4 it says and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away and I appreciated Dave last week putting that in the context of the unfolding of world history so Daniel chapter 2 where you have a success of empires and the fourth empire though not named clearly in context of the scriptures and history is the Roman Empire and that that Roman Empire exists in some form like iron mixed with clay to the very end of the age so that somehow in some sense we're in that system and that when Jesus comes back the chief shepherd when when he appears and so some of us believe that that's when Jesus comes for his church and that's what we look for that's our blessed hope when the chief shepherd appears we also look in chapter 5 how important humility is to the Lord which is why uh, the Lord went to so great lengths to demonstrate his interest in humility the way God became a person, became a human being, the way he was born, the way he lived his life, uh, the way he taught, um, you know, I think of Philippians 2. Uh, so the Lord has gone to great lengths to help us to learn that we need to humble ourselves because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And all of us have different struggles with pride and self-centeredness, but we all do have struggles with pride and self-centeredness. Years ago, our friend Consuelo uh, started a tradition where we would evaluate each married couple and decide who was the nice one. <laughs> and so Consuelo made it clear that right off the bat, her husband Carl is the nice one in, in their relationship. And so it was decided that when it came to Kim and I, guess who the nice one is? <laughs> Kim's the nice one. Charlie and Virginia, Charlie's the nice one. Um, so we. Uh, How about Tim, Tim, well, let's we'll consider that. We'll get to that. <laughs> Tim, Tim and Anna, in, among Tim and Anna, for those who know them, Anna's the nice one. And when it comes to Dave and Jane, they're both, I mean, it's really hard because they're both, well, they're both really nice, so it's really hard to figure out. But, and Willie and Gretchen, you know, we can talk about that. <laughs> but, but the thing is, is we all struggle with this kind of, this, this idea of humility. And, and we know that even the people that are most outwardly appearing to be humble, sometimes they can have some of the hardest prideful hearts on the inside. So every one of us knows that we need Jesus to break us and remake us. Uh, we want to approach the Lord with humility and treat each other with that kind of humility towards each other. And there in, uh, in verse uh, 
6 and 7 it says therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time casting all your care upon him for he cares for you and that meant so much to me in 1976 in Idaho Falls when I was I wasn't a Christian yet but I was going to church with this uh, with my roommate and and they had a song where they talked about you know the song was t about casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you and that really touched my heart prepared my heart and I received the gospel while I was there and that, that's where I became a Christian. Well, we're going to go ahead and be reading, verse, starting with verse 8, and let's pray. Lord, we need you this morning. And we thank you that you've intervened in history, you've intervened in our lives. And our hope is in you. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be serious about coming to you um, this morning and learn from the Bible, your word, and I pray that our, our words can enhance and can help us to under and not understand and not uh, interfere, Lord, so, but, but we pray that uh, your word would do a work in us this morning, Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. So let's read this, verse 8 through the end. It says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 12. By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you. And so does Mark my son greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Look at verse 12 where he's referring to Silvanus, who was also called Silas in the Bible. And so the Holy Spirit used Peter to write this epistle. Peter apparently used Silvanus or Silas to be his scribe. And then Silvanus slash Silas must have used another implement to write down the words. And so, so Silas or Silvanus, he wrote most of this epistle apparently, but perhaps Peter took the pen or whatever instrument he used to, to write the end part here. And 
This may have been the same Silas who accompanied Paul on his second missionary journey. And uh, isn't that sweet how Peter says, our faithful brother as I consider him. And so we want to be those kind of faithful brothers and sisters in the body of Christ and co-laboring for the sake of the gospel. Uh, So we we want Silas to be our example, to to be that kind of faithful uh, co-worker in Christ. Peter's writing this uh, in exhortation to the pilgrims of the dispersion, like he says in the first verse of this epistle. So these are to the sojourners, the aliens, the strangers in a strange land of the diaspora, in what's you know what we call Asia Minor, what's now Turkey. They're undergoing persecution, and and Peter is testifying that this message that he's exhorting them with is the true grace of God in which you stand. So he's saying, no matter what's happening around you, no matter what's happening to you. Stand firm. Trust in Jesus. Verse 13, Peter says, She who is in Babylon, elect with you, greets you, and so does Mark my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Peter may have been writing this epistle from Rome, in which case Babylon would have been like a code word for for Rome. Uh, some believe that he may have actually been in the city of Babylon where, where there was a Jewish uh, enclave. He, uh, and he's saying that the disciples of Jesus where he is, wherever that is, Rome or Babylon, greets you, you believers in the dispersion of Asia Minor. And so he's saying to them... And, and we together, together we are the elect. We're the elect of God. In other words, chosen by God for eternal salvation. Peter refers to Mark, which apparently is his spiritual son. This is John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And I love all of that story of John Mark and Barnabas and the conflict with Paul and yet Everybody seems to be on the same page later on in history. Um, I love how the Lord works in us and through us in spite of us in many ways and many, many times. And so, so John Mark was a co-laborer with Paul and Peter. And uh, he's probably, I believe he's the John Mark that wrote the Gospel of Mark. Largely, I understand based on the eyewitness accounts of Peter and Peter's life with Jesus. And so he says, greet one another with a kiss. And that was the custom of the day. And We can at least learn each other's names, even if we don't necessarily kiss each other. I've kissed Willie on both cheeks on the beach in, in Ahosema, uh, because all the Moroccans... You know, so men kiss men and women kiss women, and I, my understanding is this was the custom back then. And we can at least greet each other by name. And, and sometimes we say, "Well, I'm terrible at names." Well, we can get better with the names by the grace of God. And so I try to get better, and I write I write names in the back of my Bible, and I review them. Uh, 
But Peter says, Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Peace, contentment. Um, they were undergoing great persecution. They, they were in a war, basically. Uh, the, war, the world was warring against them. And, and yet, Peter is, is encouraging them He's blessing them, saying, peace to you. You know, we're, we're in a war. Uh, we're in a, a war uh, with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And yet, our weapons, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So we don't war like the world wars as, as disciples of Jesus. And somehow, in the midst of everything that, that uh, we're going through and the believers are going through throughout the world, somehow we can have that peace of God because we have peace with God. So be sober. Be vigilant. There in verse 8. Be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So Peter is exhorting those brethren in Asia Minor to be sober, or other translations might say be self-controlled. So we're not to get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we, we want to consider who or what should control our thoughts and our actions. So if we if we get drunk on wine and the and the alcohol is disengaging our ability to control our thoughts and actions, who or what are we inviting to enter in? Because there are, there are Satan and his demons that are interested in influencing us and, uh, and, um, and enticing us to sin. Drugs is another way that people historically have entered altered states of consciousness and disengaged their own ability to exercise their will over their thoughts and actions. And so, again, opening up you know, the psycho, uh, psychoactive drugs historically um, have been a means of shamanism and inviting uh, powers into your life. Uh, same thing with Eastern meditation, Eastern occult meditation. And that's why it's so dangerous that these very techniques are coming into the evangelical church today under various disguises, uh, such as be still. You know, so they use things in the Bible so that you go, oh, it must be biblical. But they, they take something out of context and use it as an excuse to introduce things that are not biblical. That, that again, disengage our ability. We enter an altered state of conscience through Eastern occult meditation. So be sober, self-controlled. And, and so, so, whether, so whether we're trying to be party animals like the world or we're trying to be mystical guru followers either way it's a worldly counterfeit 
for walking in the Spirit and pleasing God. So earlier in First Peter, we saw First um, Peter four, starting in verse three. Peter is saying, "For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles or the, or the pagans." When we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries, in regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. So as followers of Jesus, we laugh, we have a sense of humor, uh, we're not called to be ascetics living in a cave, denying ourselves in that sense. Uh, that's of no value. But we're sober. We're, we're serious about our mission. And Peter was exhorting the brethren in Asia Minor to be serious about the mission the Lord had called them to. And it's interesting how even in the midst of such cataclysmic persecution and upheaval, Peter is still saying, be the church of Jesus Christ. And he's talking to them about elders shepherd the flock. So he still is saying, do your best to continue following that pattern of Christ and being the bride of Christ together, you know, and, and instead of just uh, frantically dropping everything and going and hiding. Uh, and so, so Peter is saying, be vigilant, be alert. As Jesus said, watch. And so back in Mark, in Mark 13, uh, I'll read for you, starting in verse 5, where Jesus is saying, watch. Again, in, the, in this, in this uh, sense of being vigilant, being alert. And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or look, he is there. Do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed. See, I have told you all things beforehand. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping... And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. So in that context, Jesus, in, Matthew th in uh, Mark 13, like in Matthew 24, he, he's speaking specifically in the context of in the great tribulation and a great apostasy. But he's saying, and what I say to you, I say to all. So, so Jesus is speaking specifically to his disciples um, then, and his disciples and, and, and people of Israel in the tribulation. But he's saying, what I say to you, I say to all, watch. So he's saying that to everybody, watch. Again, be vigilant, be alert. And in the Old Testament, uh, the Lord called Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, to, to be a watchman on the wall. He says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. There in Ezekiel 3.17. And, and we as the church, we have a prophetic calling together to speak the truth in love, to speak the truth of God's word, to speak forth and warn people of deception and, and saying, here's what men have said, here's what God says, reject what men are trying to convince you of 
and, and, and draw near to what the Lord is saying in Genesis through Revelation. It says here in Peter chapter 5, Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So I think about if, you know, being in the wilderness somewhere, alone in the dark, and you hear the roar of a lion, uh, that would be pretty intimidating. And you don't really know whether the lion is going to be interested in you or not. Uh, you don't really know whether it's, it's, you're going to be in physical danger, but it's intimidating, the roar of the lion. And that's the way the world is to the believer. The world was to the believers in Asia Minor. That's the way the world is to us through various avenues and media, both inside and outside the church, those who want to be true to the Word of God and, and true to uh, uh, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the intent is to, like a roaring lion, to intimidate us. And I'm not talking here about the culture wars or anything like that. I'm just talking about us being the bride of Christ and, and proclaiming the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The world wants to intimidate us. Um, and, and so Satan is like a roaring lion and, and Satan gets you coming and going he's so clever he has various ways that he, he wants to intimidate us by his roaring into silence for the sake of the gospel uh, but he also has other techniques where he'll, he'll just go ahead and absorb you so, so, so during the time that Peter's writing this epistle the world was intimidating the Christians. They were under persecution. Uh, uh, maybe a, a couple centuries later, Satan kind of shifted his tactic and he said, okay, I'll just make Christianity the state religion. And so he just absorbs you into global counterfeit. And so either way, Satan wins from that point of view. Uh, persecution intimidating or merging us and absorbing us because we know that in addition to a roaring lion Satan also, also uh, comes in the form of a serpent like in the Garden of Eden and seducing and, and uh, deceiving subtly and we know that Satan masquerades as an angel of light so that, so that he's really good at making the lie look so good mixing it with the truth and 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 masking things so well that people look up and say, well, who can criticize that? What kind of person would criticize such goodness? You know, well, Satan likes to masquerade as that angel of light. And so as we've read before, like in 2 Thessalonians 2, that talks about the coming of the lawless one is accompanied by counterfeit miracles and signs and wonders to deceive those who are perishing because they don't love the truth. And again, any, any of the truth of God's word is not to be taken out of context as if it was a Walt Whitman book or a Cahill Gibran work, book of poetry. In other words, the, the truth of God's word is to be understood in the total context of Genesis through Revelation and the unfolding of world history. And so again, Dave mentioned that last week, speaking in terms of Daniel 2 in, in, in putting... When our chief shepherd appears, 
in that historical context that God's word gives us where in, in some of our view the chief shepherd appears at the time that, that, that Jesus returns for his church, the rapture and then we have the great apostasy and then we have Jesus coming, returning with his church in the second coming and so we're to, we're to understand everything uh, both on a personal relation level and on how it fits in with the global system and the unfolding of world history. And so when it comes to Satan, no matter what his techniques are, the Word of God is saying, resist him. And we, res- we resist him not by doing sorcery shaman techniques of, of fighting the devil ourselves. We, we resist him by being steadfast, steadfast in the faith. And it's not that we're people of faith, like is often has been said through several presidents now, talking about people of faith, and uh, that that's the whole world is people of faith in some form. No, we're people of the faith, right? So, so being we resist Satan by being steadfast in the faith, our faith in in Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, and so we run to Jesus. We we, uh, we, we trust and obey Jesus. We, so we resist the devil by saying, Lord Jesus, I need you. Um, and I, I don't want to follow the world, the flesh, and the devil. Peter is saying here that in verse 9, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So, so Peter is encouraging these brethren in Asia Minor that this persecution is going on in the whole Roman world at that time. And, and so they ought to realize that they're not the only ones going through, but this is something we're called, we're called to. And it hasn't taken God by surprise. And so, like Willie is saying, that 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 you know the the emperor thinks he's in control in, in coming after you in persecution, but God ultimately is in control and going to use and is going to use His evil intentions, the, the evil intentions of the ruler. God's going to use His evil intentions of the ruler for God's own purposes, for our good and His glory. And, and, and so we're, we're tools in God's toolbox. We, we belong to him. He can do with us what he wants. Uh, and he can take us out of the toolbox and he can put us away. Uh, he can take us home. He can do whatever he wants because we belong to him. And it's a privilege for us to be loved by him and, and to be used by him. And verse 10 it says, but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So again, this theme has been suffering in, in 1 Peter. And, and it's the suffering that comes by the world attacking the people of God, which the world has always attacked the people of God. Um, 
And so this suffering being referred to here in context definitely is due to that persecution. And when it comes to scriptures, we've talked about how there's always one interpretation, and it's not for anybody's private interpretation just to make up whatever you want when it comes to the Bible. So we're always looking for Genesis through Revelation to interpret itself so that we can discern the intent of the Lord and what's been written. So, so there's only one interpretation, and that's our, our first step, is we want to know the interpretation. But then there may be multiple applications. And so even though this is about the suffering due to persecution, and that there are other forms of suffering like trials and tragedies that each of us go through to various degrees, like we've talked about what Job went through and, and the testing that, that God had a purpose for. In a sense, all suffering, whether from persecution or trials or tragedies, they've all originated from the sin and rebellion in the Garden of Eden. So if it wasn't for the sin and rebellion in the Garden of Eden, there wouldn't be tornadoes. There wouldn't be earthquakes. There wouldn't be disease. And there wouldn't be the persecution of evil governments and evil societies coming after the people of God. And so, so there's one interpretation, but there's many, possibly, there's multiple applications. And, and that's why we can apply these exhortations in 1 Peter to the sufferings that people go through now. And so in, in the world today, there are Christians being persecuted by society and by governments. And, there's, and all of us are undergoing suffering to some degree through trials and tragedies. And so the, the question is, and what Peter's trying to exhort us to, is how do we respond? And we're to respond by trusting in Jesus, by believing him. Where Jesus goes, I'll follow because my hope is in him and I've learned to trust him. He's come into our lives and he's demonstrated on a personal level and through the Bible and through world history that, that he is working his purposes and so we trust and obey and, and, and we're not off by ourselves for the most part. We're, we're together as the body of Christ so we bear one another's burdens. And Peter is, is talking about us being established in this life. That, that after you have suffered a while, that, that the Lord will perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. So other translations might say, restore you, be firm and steadfast, confirm you. And he says, after you've suffered a little while, and, and there may be cases where where you have to go through things that are hard. And and some of the worldly sayings say, you know, worldly sayings that people comfort themselves with is this too shall pass. You know, so you hear people saying that. Um, but it may not though. Biblically it may not pass. And so so after you have suffered a little while and we've talked about this in our Dos Sunday School over recent months is that um that suffering may last the rest of your life. And, and uh, 
And and so I, I in that context, I think of what uh, one of Grace's daughters said last week at the memorial. She said that the Grace, their mom, was proof that you can love with a broken heart. Because she was she went through some really hard times, but she was so devoted to her children and loved her children and got them through some really hard times. So, so uh, you know, Grace was a person that didn't get to do all the things that she had hoped to do. Um, and that was recounted by her children too, the things that she wasn't going to get to experience. But, you know, as we've talked about, Grace's hope was in heaven. So he's called us to his eternal glory. So we've looked at before that that his etern- his ultimate purpose for us is is not really just what happens in this life, but his ultimate purpose is that we would have glorified, resurrected bodies in order to have a, an eternal love relationship with him in the new heaven and new earth. So verse. Verse 11, it says, To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we're to bring glory to God. And a lot of times I stop and think, you know, I've heard that kind of term my whole life, glory to God, glorify God. Uh, and and, it, and it, 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 uh, you know, I, my brain gets numb to some of the terminology sometimes, but it's, it's important to stop and think what that means. And what we're, when we we when we give glory to God, that's we're ri- we're basically sitting at His feet and saying, "You, Lord, are good, and Your plan is good." And so that's what we're saying: that God's plan is right, and His purposes are good. Uh, he and and you deserve glory and dominion and power because we're saying that God is. The rightful authority. He's the one that deserves to be in charge. He created everything, and he deserves honor and and the dominion and the power and the glory. And that's why Romans eight twenty eight is true. God is all powerful, and he loves us. He sent Jesus to be our Savior, and God gave us a brother like Peter to write this epistle to exhort and encourage the pilgrims in the dispersion uh, to trust in Jesus no matter what. So let's be grateful and let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for working in our lives. And Lord, I pray for Brittany and Brianna and Anthony, Lord, Grace's children, that you would strengthen and encourage them and comfort them and, and give them the next step for their, their lives. Help them to look to you. Lord, I pray for Steve and Patty's children in Arizona that you would miraculously help them to return to a sincere fellowship with you, Lord. Lord, I pray that uh, we would be changed by 
this epistle, First Peter, and that you would help us to to learn uh, as we go into Second Peter. And we're we're grateful for friendship and fellowship today that we can have friends to gather together within your name, Lord. Lord Jesus, Amen. Thank you, Jim. Why don't we stand together this morning? We're just wanting to close the service this morning. There's a song.